0: If not, I invite you to turn with me to the 14th chapter of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 14. As you're turning with us to to Luke chapter 14, I just want to make a comment on some of the remarks and things that we've heard already today. There are certain words and expressions that we use that um, they're... uh, they're very Baptist in their nature. And uh, I want you to know that's a good thing. And I don't apologize for them at all. Uh, but I do want to make sure that they're very clear uh, to you. This is the first time you've ever been to a Baptist church, first time you've ever listened in on a live stream to a Baptist church. I want you to have a clarity this morning. And we've used the word accountability. We've used the reference to that of having an age when you would become accountable. For your sins. Our understanding of the scriptures, our belief today in that is that those who are very young, uh, they are underneath their protective hand of the Lord. Um, they are not lost, but they are underneath his protective hand that if something was to happen to them, uh, that little babies that are with us, for example, that they would be with God in heaven if they were to leave this life. Well, we do know that there is a time when a child Reaches the age where they come underneath an awareness that they are a sinner in need of being saved. They become accountable to God for their sins, that if they were to pass away from this life and stand before God, that they would stand in judgment for their sins. That point in time we reference as an age of accountability. It's not specific to any certain age. It's not that you turn nine, or that you turn eight, or that you turn seven, or that you turn sixteen. It is specific to an individual where they themselves are aware, where God makes them aware that they are lost and separated from God. I don't know your heart today. I don't know beyond myself where any of you for a certain stand with the Lord. I see evidence in your life, and I've heard most of your testimonies today of where you stand with the Lord. But the only person I'm truly confident and 100% certain is saved today is myself. Because God has told me, He's revealed to me without a doubt that I know, that I know, that I know that I am saved. And I want you to know the reason why I first came to desire to be saved is God let me know that I know, that I know that I was lost. And you today who have never been saved, there will be that same moment where God who awakens you, makes you aware, where He convinces you that you are lost and separated from Him. We use words saved and lost and what they mean is that someone is saved by God's grace, they are with Him, that He has redeemed them, that they are saints. We use the word lost to represent that you are separated from God, you have never come to know His peace, that you are a sinner and lost in your sins. These words are very Baptist words, I know, but I want you to know that they are meant to convey what is a very simple reality, and one that is very real today. You are either lost, or you are saved. You are either separated from God, or you've been redeemed by God. You are either lost in your sins, or you have come to know the peace that God alone can provide. Jesus Christ is either Lord of your life or He's not. Today, I don't know how you have to be to come to know that you are lost. But the moment in time where God convinces you and lets you know that you are lost, that is the very moment in time where you should begin to seek the Lord. We use the word conviction. Conviction is meant to regard the idea that God has convinced you that you are a sinner. In fact, when you hear about somebody being convicted in the court of law, what that means is that there has been enough evidence to convince a jury that you are guilty. When God convicts you, He presents evidence to you in your life that you are guilty of your sin. We use the word conviction because that builds up in you as an awareness of the convincing of your sins grows upon you. It causes contrition. That's a biblical word. Contrition is and it means to feel crushed. You feel the weight of sin upon you as though it is crushing you. A lot of times you'll hear that expressed in testimony in different ways as a sick pit in your stomach this feeling where it just grows within you that something is wrong. Because something is wrong. (laughs) If you are not right with God, you are altogether wrong. And I want you to know well that is about it's not about it is the worst feeling you will ever experience. I want you to know when that feeling is relieved, it brings about a greater joy than you will ever experience. There is no greater joy than God lifting that burden of sin from you and putting in its place a peace and a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. So today I want to encourage you while you have heard testimony, while you have heard from me these words that are very Baptist in their nature, they are meant to imply a very simple and real idea that if you've never come to know Jesus, if you've never come to know the peace of God, that you stand in need today of salvation that can be found only in the name of Jesus. That can be found only in the name of Jesus. So I wanted to make those comments here this morning as we turn our attention to the 14th chapter of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 14. We'll begin reading at verse 25. Uh, we'll read down through verse 33. Um, I expect these are uh, some some common scriptures uh, to, to many of you. Um, even if they're not common to you, some of them have become such common parlance, such such common ways of speaking, and that you'll recognize some of this just through other conversations of life uh, here in Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. The Scripture reads, says, "...and there were, went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doeth, doth not bear his cross and come after me, Cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth, or considers, whether he be able with ten thousand, to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, he sendeth a delegation, to desire conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be... My disciple. We'll stop there in verse 33. As I mentioned, these are rather familiar scriptures. It's kind of really right in the midst of of the earthly ministry of Jesus. and He's become to to be gathering this following that is following after Him such that Luke uh, draws the account that great multitudes now are following after Jesus. I want you to know Jesus in His coming, it was not that He would somehow gather into Himself a great Multitude of followers. It was that he would come to seek and to save that which was lost. The notoriety that he was gaining, the fame that he was gaining, was not what Jesus was seeking to gain. If he was seeking to gain fame, all he would have done is had to stand up on the gates of the temple and have a a big healing, and all these people have just came and followed after him because what he could provide for their natural needs. At one time, Jesus fed thousands with just a couple of loaves and a few fishes. And He went to the other side of the lake and there, those multitudes came to Him following Him there. And Jesus began to speak to them and He said, You've not followed Me because you believe who I am. You've followed Me because I fed you. He began to open and to speak to them about how he was the bread of life and about how what they truly needed was not what he could provide for them naturally, but what he could satisfy their souls with. And so Jesus is doing a similar thing here in the 14th chapter of the book of Luke. These great multitudes are following him, and I can just picture him stopping. He hears a throng behind him talking and and wondering what the next miracle he would do and where they were going and all these things that are going on of this multitude of people who are following him. He stops and he turns around. He makes something abundantly clear about being a follower of Jesus. He says, If any man comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers, and his sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now is Jesus somehow contradicting what Scripture says elsewhere to honor your father and mother? Well, certainly not. We we know certainly that He was not contradicting what is said elsewhere about our relationships with, with these very ones that Jesus is naming here in verse 26. But instead, what Jesus is clearly demonstrating, that unless you put Jesus first, you cannot be His disciple. I ask you today, what priority do you give to the Lord? Do you make the Lord a higher priority than your mother, than your father, than your spouse, than your brothers, than your sisters, yea, even more than yourself? Time and time again we see in the Scriptures where Jesus has taught you to, to not worry about the things of tomorrow, to not worry about whether you'll be fed or what you'll be clothed with. He was talking about this actually in that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Then He goes on and He talks about how the Lord knows what needs you have before you even have need of them. <laughs> so if those things be true, Should we worry about our own selves or should we worry about the Lord? For you to be a disciple of Jesus, it's going to cost you something. In fact, it's going to cost you surrendering and forsaking all. As we see Jesus make note of in verse 33, He says, so likewise whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all. That he hath. He cannot be my disciple. What's that word forsake mean? It means to bid farewell to. To renounce. To disclaim it. To disown it as we would otherwise put it. That whatever it is that you hold on to. That you put above Jesus. That you would surrender it. And let go of it. Bid it farewell. That you might follow after Jesus instead. There are some in which they have made it to to the desire of their life to follow after Jesus. And it has, in fact, cost them the very relationships that Jesus spoke of in verse 26. I've heard some of your own testimonies about how your families, they just treat you differently because of your desire for the Lord. So sometimes those are realized in very real and specific ways but whether they are realized in real or specific ways or whether they are things that are found true of your heart, they must be present to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's not just merely true of those that are lost. And if you are lost today, I want you to know if you'll be saved, it is that you will fully place your trust in Jesus. You'll renounce everything else. You'll let go of everything else. And you will trust in the name of Jesus only to save you. Listen to me, if you are looking with anything else in your heart except full faith and trust in the name of Jesus to save you, you'll miss the mark. You'll miss the mark. We talk about repentance. And the nature of repentance is to turn away from something and to turn to something else. It is to turn away from the vileness of sin, to leave it behind you, to renounce it and let it go, that you might instead grab hold of Jesus. And if you're going to repent today, it's going to be because you come fully trusting in Jesus. How can you turn your eyes off of everything else unless you look squarely and only upon Jesus? Today I want to encourage you That if you are lost and you are separated from the Lord, that you would go to Him with a heart fully desiring Him and Him alone. And whatever it is that you have to surrender, that you are holding on to, that you would surrender it. I've heard it this way. It is as though Jesus has His hand out reaching down that you might let go of whatever it is you are holding on to and reach up and grab a hold of Him. When you let go of everything else and you grab a hold of Jesus, you'll find Him, as Sister Jess already testified today, to be all that you will ever need. But all those other things that you're holding on to, you don't need them. Not that they might not be dear to your life and important. And we serve an all-consuming and all-loving Lord that allows us to enjoy those things. I want you to know today that all those things will only be truly enjoyed that Jesus is first and foremost in your life. He says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus goes on and He begins to explain these things using two stories or two accounts, two types of parables to try to explain what he means. The first one you've probably heard more often than the second one. Where he talks about somebody that's sitting down to build a tower. Before he does, he first has to consider what it's going to cost to build that tower. That he would make sure that he has enough to build. Lest he'll get started, he'll lay the foundation and not be able to, to start building the tower. People will laugh him and mock him. It says there in verse 29, it says, Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it all that behold it begin to mock Him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish it. There were many in Christ's day who were persuaded by the things that they saw to follow after Jesus without ever truly forsaking all and following after Him. We see the lesson of the disciples and how Jesus came to them and called them that they would follow after Him even while they were mending their nets. And they left their nets and began from that point forward to follow Jesus. yet there are those who just kind of from time to time said, Jesus is coming through town, let's stop and see what he's going to do." And Jesus is making clear that those that professed professed excuse me that professed to be disciples yet weren't truly surrendering themselves over to the Lord to follow after Him and renouncing everything else that those that were merely professing to be Christ without following Him were going to be made a mockery. Made a mockery. I want to ask you today, for you that have been saved, are you truly following after the Lord? Are you truly surrendering and giving yourself over to the Lord? He gives a second example. Beginning in verse 31, he says, Or what king goes to make war against another king that does not sit down first and considers whether he be able with an army of 10,000 to go against him with an army of 20,000? He says, lest if he determines that he can't, if he sits down and he makes that consideration, he would do better to, to send a delegation over to that other king and to make terms of peace rather than go up against an army that he is not able to go to war against. He says, what king wouldn't consider first what the battle would take? That's where I'd like to spend our time on today. Is Have you given consideration to what it's going to cost you to serve the Lord? Have you considered what it's going to cost you to serve the Lord? I want you to know that your lives reveal the answer to that question. Your lives reveal whether or not you put the Lord in front of everything else. Your lives reveal how it is that you prioritize the things of the Lord. Your life reveals whether or not that no matter what your circumstances are, you are prioritizing the Lord when it came, comes to considering these things, when it comes to forsaking all and following after the Lord, I want you to know that Jesus talks in very absolute terms. He's not allowing that there be some exception that can be made for some reason. That perhaps, well, Derek, I, I just got this certain time in my life. I'm in college or I have these different things going on, so I can't really, truly serve the Lord like I would like to. Jesus knows all about what you're going through in your life. And still His desire is that you would follow Him first and above all. Do you hear me? Jesus knows every little detail about what you're going through in your life better than you do. And still His desire is that you would follow Him above all else. When we think as though there are just certain exceptions, I want you to know that we are are handling the instruction of Jesus wrong. He has told us to forsake all and follow Him. Young people, if you're lost today, listen to me. You might say, well, Derek, I have the rest of my life to worry about getting saved. There are two problems with that way of thinking. Number one, you don't know what the rest of your life means. You don't know whether that means 60 years or if that means six hours. So you are dealing with an uncertain expectation. That's your first problem with that statement. Your second problem with that statement is that you are disregarding what the Lord has said about your life, which is to renounce everything and follow Him. To follow Him. Him. You know that scripture that I was mentioning back in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus was instructing to, to take no thought of, of what you would say or what you would eat or what you would drink or what you would clothe yourself with and all those different things. He went on and he was elaborating on that verse a little further. And he said, do you not know that the Gentiles do those things? He says, but your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I don't know what you are looking for in your life. I am certain that most of us are looking that we might have some level of happiness. My friend, the happiness that you would seek in your life will be found and met only in Jesus. You might fill it temporarily with things that bring you joy for a season, but you will never truly know lasting happiness until you put Jesus first in your life. You guys hear me? You will never know lasting happiness until you put Jesus first in your life. I hope there's some of you that know that I'm right. Not merely because the Bible says so, that's good enough reason. I want to be clear. I hope some of you have lived that and have come to know that and understand that that is not just some precept of Scripture that is good for us to follow after, but you've come to know and to realize that true happiness is only found in giving the Lord priority in your life. I will assure you that you can test that over and over again and you will find it true every single day. Lord is not slack concerning these promises. Some men count slackness as long-suffering. Aren't you glad that he is? To say, friend, I know today that we are challenged at every hand to give priority over to the call of the Lord upon our lives. And it seems sometimes that this effort that we strive for in our lives to give the Lord priority, to make Him priority, sometimes it's as though we take two steps forward and one step back, and it seems like we just can never get this thing quite right. The Lord is long-suffering with us. He's patient with us. And He deals with us with grace and with mercy. And He helps us to identify how it is that we can more ably and fully surrender ourselves over to Him. There are times in my life where I don't realize that I am putting something in front of the Lord. And He has to show me. You might say, Well, Derek, that's just because you're a little, a little slower than most. And you'd probably be right about that. And sometimes for Him to show me that, it, it has to be shown to me in great big ways for me to get the picture. Sometimes I have to go and try it my way. And He'll be like, Well, you can try it your way, but it's going to leave a mark. And it will. We might laugh at that. But I want you to know my life would be better without that mark. How many of you have had seen a child stand up, maybe even in these pews in front of you, and they are about ready to bump their head? And you know that if they bump their head, they'll eventually learn the lesson not to stand up there. But we still put our hand down there to make sure that they don't bump their head. Why do we do that? Because we don't want it to leave a mark. <laughs> We don't want them to experience that pain. So it is with the Lord and His instruction to us. Yes, you can go through your life and as we would say, learn things the hard way. My friends, I want you to know the intent of God in our lives is not that we learn things the hard way and come out the other side with bumps and bruises to show for it, but instead that the peace of God will be so much upon us that we are able to keep ourselves whole before Him uh, without those blemishes that come with our own efforts to try to to test whether these things of the Lord be right or not. In which case when we do that, what we do is we put marks on our life that hamper our ability to truly follow after the Lord. So I want to encourage you today. This is not one of those live and learn kind of things. I hate that expression. Live and learn. Listen to me. That may be how the world tries to deal with figuring things out in life. But Scripture has not told us to live and learn. It has told us to learn of Him. To learn of Him. And to live it according to the things that He teaches us. He says... Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. For lo, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. (laughs) I mentioned last week, I think it was maybe this week before, about how people think religion is just a bunch of rules, and that that's the idea that you have about religion that you're doing it wrong. Listen to me. Jesus has told us that his yoke is easy, and that his burden is light. That following after him is not this. Burnsome, cumbersome thing that is this weight upon you that restricts you from having joy in life. It is quite the opposite, my friend. Following after Jesus will free you and set you at liberty in ways that you won't believe. Why? I want you to know I never have to wonder or question about what things I shouldn't do or what things I should do as they relate to, to simple things of life. The Lord has guided me and, and holds me a, a hand in terms of the things in my conscience. He has written upon me His laws and He has shown me by His grace and by evidence of who He is about those things that lead to those sins. He has taught me to be able to shun lifestyles that are, are not good for the Christian. Not because of some rules. But because I have instead found that there is nothing worth doing that would pull me away from a relationship with the Lord. Do you hear me? There is nothing worth doing that will pull you away from your relationship with the Lord. I'll say it again. There is nothing worth doing that will pull you away from your relationship with the Lord. I don't care if that's your job, if that's your schooling. That's your family. There is nothing worth doing that will pull you away from your relationship with the Lord. So, have you taken these things into consideration? Have you considered first what it took to deliver you? What it cost to buy your pardon? As we look to consider the things as to whether or not we should Follow after the Lord as we count the cost of following after Jesus as a true disciple of Christ. Have you considered what it cost Jesus for you to be saved? I want you to know that Jesus is eternal. He's always been before He ever entered into this world in the flesh. He was with God in heaven. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. We've been studying in the book of Daniel on Wednesday nights. We didn't get to it this past week, but we'll get to it this week. About how there are these times of which we see Jesus and His evidence and His presence in the Old Testament. Jesus has that same characteristic and attribute of the Father. He has all the same characteristics and attributes of the Father in that He is eternal. And So Jesus left the splendors of heaven and took on flesh. He maintained His godliness all throughout that. He never relinquished that position as the Son of God, for He took on flesh without an earthly father. Isn't that incredible? Jesus was born of a virgin. You might say, well, Derek, well, yeah, we know. and we think about that at Christmas time, it's February. Listen to me. Jesus was born of a virgin. That's never happened before. That's never happened since. Why? Because Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Jesus entered into the world without the imputed sin of a father. (laughs) He was righteous and holy from the very first time He was in His mother's womb. And He stayed that way all the time. (laughs) He left the splendors of heaven And the first time he opened eyes in the flesh to see the world, he was laying in a feeding trough. He thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but he took upon himself no reputation. Made in the lowliness of man and born in a manger. He was a carpenter's son. Not a lot of notoriety. Didn't enjoy a lot of privileges. We would probably say he was somewhere lower to middle class. But he went about doing his father's business. One time, I think people say he was probably about 13, his parents found him in the temple. And he was talking to all of those smart people in the temple and they were wowed with his knowledge. His parents came and found him and said, what's going on? Why have you found yourself here? Why have you not stayed with us? And he answered them and said, do you not know that I'm supposed to be about my father's business? We don't find account of him again until he's about 30 years old. And he comes to John in the wilderness, his cousin. For six months, his cousin has been out in the wilderness. He's been baptizing people. And Jesus comes to him. And John looks at his cousin and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. (laughs) Declared in that moment to be the Messiah that had been promised. And here the Messiah was come. He told John that he had needs to be baptized and John baptized him. And the Father and the Spirit descended like a dove upon him and a voice from heaven spoke and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, in His public ministry, He went about, Scripture tells us, doing good. He taught, He instructed, He healed did miracles the likes of which we have a a picture of and somewhat of an understanding of but John tells us that if we were to try to understand the fullness of them that the world couldn't contain the volumes of books what shape you've them? what about doing good he was righteous never was there a vile thing to ever enter into his mind yet this whole time ever since it was that he'd been born, there was a scandal brewing that sought to kill him. When he was just a child, his parents had to escape to Egypt to prevent this scandal from coming and killing him. As as a decree went out from the king that all these children would be killed. Time and time again, as he was in his earthly ministry, we see throngs against Jesus, desiring to stone him, desiring to kill him. Yet somehow his time was not yet at hand, and so Jesus would make his way through the crowd and continue his teaching. Until one day, the time was at hand, and the hour had come. Just a few days prior, he had entered into Jerusalem triumphantly on the back of the donkey as people were crying out and praising Him and singing Hosannas to the Son of God. A few nights later, He was there and He was having the Passover meal with His disciples. And the very one that had already betrayed Him was in the room with Him. All the disciples were asking, Is it I? Is it I, Master, who, who betrays you? He said, as the one with whom I suck, The one with whom would dip the bread. Judas knew it was him. Judas went out to complete his betrayal. Jesus said, do it quickly. Jesus was in the garden praying and praying with such a passion and such a desire and such a, a worry in his heart concerning the things that were to become that his sweat became as drops of blood the capillaries underneath his skin, he was under so much stress bearing your burden, bearing the weight of your sins. And he was so stressed that those capillaries began to burst and came out as he was sweating. Oh, he was going through something awful for you, sinner. The Roman guards came there to arrest him. Judas had told them that Jesus is the one whom I will kiss. <laughs> and for 30 pieces of silver the son of God was betrayed with a kiss. <laughs> that breaks my heart to think about. <laughs> the very one who saved me <laughs> was betrayed for Price of a common slave and trade with a kiss. <laughs> From that moment forward, Jesus endured more pain and suffering in his body than any one of us could ever imagine. They plaited a crown of thorns, they twisted it together, they jammed it upon his skin. He was struck in his back with a whip with a cat 9 tails on the end. That each time that whip would fall upon his back, it would pull back with it just pieces of skin. Mocked, his beard plucked and it spat upon. Him. And even so, Lay him laid not before the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. He was tried, given a hastily thrown together trial. Wrongfully accused by a bloodthirsty mob, they desired over Jesus, a criminal. Instead, they cried out towards Jesus, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. He was given a cross. Though His body was already drained from the physical suffering and torment that He has already anguished in pain, He was demanded to carry His cross up to the hill called Golgotha Jesus was already so beaten that He couldn't carry it. So they compelled Simon to come and help Him. They got to that hill. They laid Jesus upon that cross. They took stakes and they drove them through each one of His wrists and then through His feet. The hole was already prepared for this cross to stand in as they lifted Him up. That cross fell into that hole. Jesus fell and is hanging there. You see, for about three hours, He hung there on the cross. Each breath getting more shallow and more shallow. Yet the suffering for sin increasing upon Him with each hour. He cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? (laughs) Forsaken my God, bearing the weight of sin. (laughs) By with a loud voice, Christ gave up the ghost. Passover was at hand. The Sabbath was at hand. They had to very quickly get Him off the cross and, and to try to speed up the process of the criminals that were on each side of Him that they would die. They, they went and they broke their legs. that They would have nothing to, to hold up and support themselves. Yet they got to Jesus and found Him already to be dead. But to verify that, they shoved a spear up through His side. Piercing His heart, and out came blood and water. Jesus really died for you, my friend, is the point that I'm trying to make. He really died for you. This isn't some made up thing, it's not some idea. Christ Jesus died for sinners. <laughs> but the good part was still yet to come. <laughs> He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Joseph of Arimathea had a tomb, so they took the body quickly and they prepared it, and they buried him the Sabbath day was coming. The day after the Sabbath, and that next morning after the Sabbath, they came because they didn't have time to fully prepare the body of Jesus. But when they got there to the tomb to, to anoint him with the spices and things according to the traditions of the burial that they would have, they got to the tomb, and the stone was already rolled away. There is an angel there, brother Nick already quoted it. Too. So why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Come and see the place where Jesus laid. They picked their head in there. Don't you know that the grave cloths were folded up and put there because he didn't need them anymore? He was alive. And for some 40 days after that, we see him make an appearance from time to time with his disciples in different places before finally he ascended into the right hand of the throne of God and sinner for Listen to me. Jesus Christ remains there right now and he's making intercession for you. You have an advocate with God, the father through Jesus Christ. You say, Derek, how can I be saved? You can be saved through the blood of Jesus. And although your sins have separated you from the holiness of God, Jesus has borne the wrath for sin and He is at the right hand of God right now making it possible for you to be reconciled to God. You have one that will plead your case with God if you place your faith and trust him. Isn't that wonderful? We have an advocate with God. The Holy One of Israel. (laughs) I have communion with Him. I can go before Him from time to time. I have a relationship with Him because of the work of His only Son. There are more things I want us to consider, but I won't for the sake of time. I' asked if you considered what you felt that moment you first got saved. You remember that time when you first got saved, And in that moment, all at once, you experienced the joy that you'd heard others talked about. You understood what it meant to know the presence of God. Think back, saved friend, to that very first moment where you got saved. And in that moment, didn't you think that from that point forward, you were just going to follow the Lord for the rest of your life with nothing to ever hinder you? My brother-in-law puts it this way. He says when he first got saved, he felt like he could take on hell with a water gun. That's what it's like when you're close to the Lord, isn't it? You feel like you can just take on the greatest battles. Have you ever considered what that felt like? Have you returned to, Have you considered what you've committed to the Lord? If you've been saved by God's grace, you gave your life to Him, you surrendered it, you left it behind and gave yourself over to Him instead. Have you considered what you've committed to the Lord? Have you considered what others stand to gain by your witness? Have you considered the alternative? The following after the Lord. I want to say two things in closing. Say, friend, I don't know how your walk is with the Lord. Only you truly know that. <clears throat> only you can answer the things that go on in the privacy of your home. When you're by yourself, when people aren't around, only you truly knows your walk with the Lord. I hope today your mind has been stirred and called to remember what it costs, what you must consider to be his disciple. I hope you desire to live as Job did. When Satan was seeking one whom he may come and try, what did God say about it? He said, Have you considered old Satan, my servant Job? He said, There is none like him in the earth, a perfect. In an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, lost friend, I want to ask you, have you considered the alternative? sinner <clears throat> friend today, the alternative to following the Lord is to remain lost and in your sins. I want you to know today that if you are lost and in your sins eternity hangs in the balance. Heard yesterday morning at the preacher's meeting, his brother Gary was teaching about how when you talk to most people, everyone thinks they're going to heaven. I want you to know that doesn't align with Scripture. Scripture says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. And few there be that find it. Sinner friend, for you to think that everybody goes to heaven so I must be okay, you're ignoring the things of Scripture. But I want you to know the truth of Scripture, that there is an eternity that awaits every single one of us is true. But that eternity is not guaranteed to the sinner to be in heaven. My friend, if... You desire heaven to be your home, you'll only find that to be your home through Jesus. Your eternity hangs in the balance either way. And the alternative to an eternity in heaven is an eternity in hell. A place that was made for the devil and his angels, a place that was never intended for man. A place of torment, a place of vexation place of eternal damnation it says where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched sinner friend today I want you to know that your eternity hangs in the balance you are every one of us today is a breath away from eternity Pray today, sinner friend, that you give consideration to the alternative. You'll enter into eternity one way or another. you enter in by the blood of Jesus. You'll experience only joy and peace in heaven forever. But if you stand before the Lord on that great and terrible day of judgment without the blood of Jesus covering you, without ever being saved, He will say, Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. And your eyes will open in eternity in a hell prepared for Satan and his angels. I want you to know today, my friend, I say these things to your warning. Not to your fear. Because there's a hope in Jesus. But I say them to your warning. That you would consider what it cost to be a disciple of the Lord, and that you would consider the alternative. I thank you for listening. So in your heart.